702 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger, is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them. 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. The first Sunday of NFL football is in the books. We're going to break it all down now with our NFL insider and our Monday morning quarterback from The Messenger, Mike Tannier, here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Doing better than the New York Giants are doing this morning. Hi. And I suppose the Seattle Seahawks as well. And the Bengals. You know what? Let's, and the Steelers. And the let's Bengals. start with that question because someone texted that in this morning. They said either who looked the worst or had the worst Sunday. Was it the Seahawks? Was it the Steelers? Was it the Bengals? Or was it the Giants? And I left the Giants left because I think I know that they're going to be the answer. But take it away, Mike Tanier. Who's the worst? I think, I think it's got to go with the Giants because there's nothing to take away from, from that that they can put a positive on. There's no positive spin on it. The Bengals can look at what happened and say, hey, you know what? Our defense played well, and we always start out slow. And Joe Barrow was hurt all preseason. There's all these things you can say, yes, and, yes, and for the Bengals. Uh, you, you know, the, the Seahawks were in that game for a half. You know, they were leading that game for a half, and then things really got weird and sideways. We can talk about that if you want. Um, what, what can the Giants take away from it? I, I guess the best thing they can say this morning is they're dry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they got a nice shower. They towelled off, and they and they got to sleep in their beds. That's the best thing. Special teams was terrible. Defense was terrible. Everything about that was terrible. Okay, Seahawks. Since you mentioned it, uh, you said things got weird. Things got weird. Also, not good for the Seahawks. I think it was twelve <laughs> yards of offense in the second half, which yeah. is just a crazy thing. Mike, I, Mike, one of the questions that I want to ask you is like, do the Seahawks? have even close to what would be considered a weapon on defense, like a guy that can go out there and blow up plays and change the momentum of games. You probably knew going into the season that that was potentially a problem. And yeah, I didn't see it yesterday. I mean, Boye Mafe is a good little player. He can do things as an edge rusher. He's not, he's not a what brother. <laughs> he's not a Bosa brother. Uh, you know, Bobby Wagner's back. He's playing hard. That's your middle linebacker. That's got, so, so he's got to be a, you know, an anchor, not the guy who makes these big plays. I don't see it in the secondary. I don't see Jamal Adams running to the rescue and being that guy. Cause I think you've seen enough of what he, he does. And that was the main problem there. You talked about the offense and the offense really stalled and it was really stunning to the degree that it, it just stalled there. There's no pass rush. There's no pass rush, and it's third and medium against an offensive line full of guys you never heard of with receivers named Puka and Tutu out there. And the one, the one thing you can't do is let Matthew Stafford just sit in his pocket and figure something out, and that's what the Seahawks allowed the Rams to do, particularly in the second half of that game. I don't even want to go down this road because I don't want to make any excuses or I don't want to both sides this thing. And I don't think the Rams are any good, but <laughs> was there anything yesterday where you're like, Oh, maybe the Rams deserve a little more credit than what we're giving them. They were flying around on defense. You know, they were absolutely hustling on defense. Some of these guys that we never heard of can play to a degree. I think Kobe Durant can play. I think Darian Kendrick can play in the secondary. That corner, those corners aren't bad. And you know, Matthew Stafford is good. He's good at football. You know, he is a, he is a professional NFL quarterback with 15 years experience in a Super Bowl ring. And again, you give him time to throw, 
he will find some receivers for you. And I'll add to that, yes, Sean McVay does know how to game plan and create some mismatches and some opportunities. So you have all of that. But, yeah, I don't think in the long run that's going to be a sustainable model. They don't have a pass rusher, except for Aaron Donald, of course. They don't have an edge rusher, I should say. I don't think that offensive line is going to hold up. I don't know who their running backs are, really. I guess Cam Akers, we've been seeing him around for a while. They don't have a lot of things to hang their hat on. They just hustled. They stayed in the game. And then they were they put themselves in an opportunity for things to, uh, to to win when things started going sideways for the Seahawks. So, Mike, how do you uh, see the Seahawks matching up against the Detroit Lions? Because that's their week two opponent, and they're looking at zero and two. That's staring them right in the face. You know, the Lions' offense did not look very good last week. Twenty-one point seven was a pick six that was batted into the arms of the defender. They are similar teams in a lot of ways. I, I see Geno Smith and Jared Goff as similar in a lot of ways. I think the Lions have a problem where they don't have a lot of weapons besides Amon Ross St. Brown, who's kind of a nifty slot guy, not a deep threat, whereas the Seahawks, I think, have better re- uh, options on wi- at wide receiver. It's going to be interesting. I think the problem that the Seahawks have is the Lions' defense is another defense that flies around, has a lot of speed, just sort of has a go get them mentality and that's what the the chiefs were dealing with if the seahawks don't have a solution for that uh then it's going to be another long afternoon who is a better quarterback dak prescott or brock purdy (laughs) dak prescott hey you you know what you give dak prescott the ball at midfield and debo samuel and christian mccaffrey to throw like screen passes (laughs) to and he'd go to the Hall of Fame before he retired, you know. <laughs> Brock Scott has his, has his flaws of all. But, you know, come on with Brock Purdy here. I mean, he, did, he made a couple of throws. It's 20 to nothing in the second quarter, and he's got the ball at midfield. There's a lot of margin for error there. You're never going to force a pass under those circumstances because you don't have to. It's like, ah, you know, we can just punt, put the ball to five-yard line, get two sacks. I'll get the ball back. We'll kick a field goal. That's how Brock Purdy has played his entire very short career. And I'll say one more thing about Brock Purdy. He always scrambles to his left. At some point, some team's going to keep it close (laughs) or have a lead, and he's going to get this guy to scramble to his left, and he's going to throw interceptions and he's going to throw sacks. As it is, if he gets sacked, it doesn't matter. Because it's 20 to nothing already, and they just punt, and they try again next time. But the advantage the Niners have with a young quarterback who's not getting paid anything, I mean, it just allows them to have all those weapons. I look at both sides of the ball, and then I watch the thing about the Seahawks, and I'm kind of like, yeah, the Seahawks have weapons on offense, but on defense, they they just can't come close and I'm kind of like wow god what is the point of the Seahawks season right now the way that the Niners and (laughs) and the Cowboys looked and you you forget about the Eagles and the Lions are an up-and-comer too there's a lot of teams right now especially in NFC where you know like what is the goal is the goal 10 wins and lose in the playoffs you know is the Saints goal 10 wins and lose in the playoffs it looks like it is and all their guys are 35 years old you know is the Falcons goal 10 wins and lose the playoffs yeah, but you're not sure who the quarterback is. I, I think the Seahawks are that to a degree, and I, I look at them as a team that is still trying to develop all the young talent. You want to develop those offensive tackles, who I don't, who I think played okay yesterday, but they're not the same when you know you're down by two scores and the, and the de- defensive linemen are teeing off. You want Jackson Smith uh, and Big to, to to develop. You want Boye Mafe to develop. I think that's the goal there while winning, while still being successful, and that's what you want to look at moving forward because. If you win 10 and 11 games and all these young players are learning from it, then that's a success. If you're winning 10, 11 games because you're beating the Cardinals and guys are getting hurt and guys aren't, are starting to make mistakes, that's a problem. 
We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Cleveland and Cincinnati, Mike, we talked about Joe Burrow's rough day uh, on the weekend, but I did want to ask how much of that had to do with the Browns' defense because it seemed like everywhere that I looked and read on Sunday, everyone was really, really promoting what a great job that Schwartz did with this defense and more specifically how aggressive they were in getting after the quarterback. So, yeah, and you have Miles Garrett we know is good. They had Zadarius Smith on the other side, who's always been a productive pass rusher, and he's real He's real scary when he's your number two guy. Right. You know, he was the number one guy for years for the Packers and then for the Vikings a little bit. He's your number two guy. He's scary. You also have, you know, and Schwartz just lets those guys tee off. He usually likes man coverage in the secondary. Denzel Ward's a good corner. The other cornerbacks knew some. I think the other kid was Delpit. Uh, they they played very well, and they shut those guys, guys down. I think Burrow was out of kilter. Mm. I think that he was rusty. Remember, he had no preseason. He had no training camp, really. So it's not even like he had a lot of practice reps to turn to. Turn to. I think that showed. And I think the weather was a factor to a degree. When you watch that game, you'll see slipping and sliding, you know, bad footing. That's going to favor the defense that doesn't have to worry about Jamar Chase just running downfield like on AstroTurf, et cetera. So there were a lot of factors there. So I'm not worried about the Bengals moving forward. Just wonder, like, what would happen if the Bengals started out quickly in a season? You know, would, would, would they go sixteen and one? What would happen? They always kind of put themselves behind the eight ball earlier and early in the year. Uh, speaking of starting quickly, the Miami Dolphins showed no rust and none of that preseason hangover. So Tua Tagovailoa, four hundred and sixty-six yards passing, three touchdowns, a one ten QB rating. They get a big win over the Chargers. Is this sort of confirmation of the fact that as long and importantly, if they can just keep Tua healthy, they're going to be a real dangerous team to play against. You can keep Tua and Tyreek Hill healthy. That yeah. was the story of Tyreek Hill. That's a 212-yard, two-touchdown game for Tyreek Hill. Just about every clutch play is to Tyreek Hill. If it's not to Tyreek Hill, it's to Waddle. And if it's not to Tyreek Hill or Waddle, it's to the guy getting covered by the linebacker because both of those guys have both the safeties and the top cornerbacks running 45 yards down the field. So, yeah, Tua is a big part of this. You know, Tua, Tua does get the ball to those guys. He does make good decisions with the ball. He's got the quick release. We saw his sort of mobile run and throw capability where when he runs, he's not looking to run. He's like running and saying, oh, Tyreek Hill's going to get past somebody while I'm doing this. And his eyes are downfield. You see a lot of those factors. But really, it's all about Ty- Tyreek Hill and what he brings to the table for the Dolphins. Uh, what did you see from Russell Wilson uh, besides a lot of short completions? I did not see that game, thank heavens. You know, I was wondering which games I had I could ignore before I came on. I made sure I like double checked the Seahawks game, et cetera. Did not watch. G- gave myself the gift of not watching the Broncos and Raiders this morning, and of not watching the Saints and Titans this morning. Uh, Packers, they start a quarterback not named Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre for the first time in 30 years, which is wild. So Jordan Love comes in 38 to 20 win over the Bears. So the Packers, like they did over the last 30 years, beat the Bears. That's routine. What did you make of uh, Jordan Love's debut as the new starting quarterback for Green Bay? Happy to see him without Christian Watson, their wide receiver one, thrown to a lot of rookies and uh, an injured Romeo Dobbs, et cetera. Calm in the pocket, poised in the pocket, delivering the ball down the field, not, you know, screen passes and RPOs and rollouts, downfield passes on third and medium, third and long consistently. He, you know, he, he made some mistakes in that game. There were some scattered throws. Third and six, third and eight, he was money. He was finding guys. He was finding guys along, you know, between the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. 
that was very encouraging. Now, they're not facing the best opponent there in the Chicago right. Bears, was not getting a lot of resistance from the defense. But that's something he can build on. And, again, he will be getting Watson back, and that's going to diversify that offense. So, you know, I, we're not, we're not going to build another uh, a statue outside the stadium just yet. But on a week when so many quarterbacks played poorly, Jordan Love played very, very well. Well, you know, there's a good juxtaposition at play there because in Jordan Love you had the guy, a first-round pick that got to season and matriculate and all that stuff. You got to sit there <laughs> yeah. for a while and learn and didn't get thrown right into the fire. And then on the exact same day, you have all these first-round picks that are thrown right into the fire, and it didn't go great for Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. And I thought Richardson was the best of the three, but it was interesting to see that play out where there's a lot on these three kids going into starting and starting from day one. And I think importantly, and you brought this up before too, playing for bad teams. Like, it's not like they're going into Brock Purdy and San Francisco situations. Uh, what did you make of all the rookies, the, the big three anyway, Young and Stroud and Richardson yesterday? I'm going to have to sit down and, and watch them, but it's that. It's bad teams where they don't have a lot of weapons. They don't have great offensive line play. The defense is not doing them any favors in most cases. I think Richardson had the best opportunity because the Jaguars were making mistakes, so he capitalized. But you got guys who, you know, don't have a lot of time to throw and don't have a lot of guys to throw to, and it's just hard to evaluate on that. So none of them were like panic button, what's this guy doing in the NFL situation? But, you know, Bryce Young was, you know, was under pressure and kind of throwing the ball out of bounds. C.J. Stroud was holding the ball too long, hoping somebody to get open, taking sacks, kind of get, getting stripped sacked, making mistakes like that. Richardson, he was able to do sort of that, you know, rugged Cam Newton type of thing because he's so huge and he's so strong. And he was doing the RPOs, and he got a screen pass that turned into a touchdown. But when the chips were down, you know, he was a pretty erratic passer as well. So I think it's going to be long years for all three of those guys. And you're right, it comes down to when you're a rookie, when you're bringing that rookie quarterback in, please find something that he can hang his hat on. Get your protection under control. Get your, get your receiver core under control so he has something that he can, that he can turn to. Uh, when he's struggling early in the season. So, like, the overreaction Monday is very much a thing. Some companies have branded it out to be a segment, but the week one overreaction Monday is a special, unique one because there's that added element of, I'm ready to give up on the season. I mean, Jason's saying if the Seahawks lose... <laughs> I'm scouting week, Caleb Williams now. Right, basically. they got one more yeah. week to sort this out, and if not, we're tanking and we're going for Caleb Williams. Yeah. But yeah. Arizona nearly won, right? Maybe the Seahawks are the worst in the division. You've been doing this for, you've been doing this for a long time, Mike. Uh, how do you go about analyzing week ones? When a team you expect to play well plays well, you go with it. The 49ers, you go with it. The Cowboys, you go with it. When a team that expect to do well does poorly, you look at it and you try to not be results-oriented and say, what should I be worried about here? You know, Again, the Bengals played poorly, but Joe Barrow didn't look good. I, I think Joe Barrow's going to be fine. I don't have a worry there. You know, The Chiefs didn't look good, but the receivers dropped a million passes. That is a potential worry because those are the receivers. Right. I, unless they trade for Mike Evans, the new guys are not walking through the door. And you kind of do the same with the bad teams. You know, The Panthers play poorly. They're a rebuilding team. That's the case. That's going to happen. The Rams play really well. Uh, <laughs> you, know, uh, you don't go crazy with that. So, so you stick with your priors. People talk about, oh, you're just confirming your priors. Your priors are there because you spent, in my case, years and months studying these teams. Go with that. Stick with that in the short term. And then look for further evidence as week two, week three, week four unfolds. So to bring it back to the Seahawks, what would your conclusion about their week one performance be? I think that game snowballed on them in the second half. I go back to, you know, they block a kick. 
they drive downfield, they miss a field goal, and then they give up a couple plays, they they give up a field goal. And that's what happens before halftime. And then after that, it's tilting on them. I'm not pushing the panic button on a team that I think is a wild card caliber team with them, but they've got some things to straighten out. I think that they're a little congested on offense. I don't know why in the second half I'm seeing all these two tight end in the backfield mm. formations. I think that that's, a, that's something to do when you're kind of dictating, when you're up 10 points, not down 10 points. I am worried about their pass rush. But I think overall it's a solid team, and they're going to have a relatively solid season. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our Monday morning quarterback, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Monday morning quarterback is brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home for football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. You can visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. You can also visit them tonight, the Clayton Pub, for Monday Night Football. We've been waiting a long time for this one. Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets taking on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Based on your priors, Mike, what are you expecting tonight? How do you see this one playing out? I'm going to base it a little bit on eyewitness weather, and that's where I look out my window and witness the, the NFL weather. Is- um, it's still kind of rainy and foggy and damp here where this game's going to be played in greater New Jersey area. And so I'm looking for, I think everybody's coming for a shootout between Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen. I've got my eye on the under in this game. I've got my eye on a defensive uh, duel. Don't, don't, don't overlook the fact that Jets defense is really, really good. The Bills defense has been good for years. So should be a tight game, should be an exciting game. But I'm looking for one that's going to be more in the in the 22 to 19 or 23 to 20 range than that I think shootout that I think that the TV networks are hoping for. Mike, this was great as always. Enjoy the game tonight. Should be a good one. We'll do this again next Monday. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from the Messenger here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. You know what's fun right now is Seahawks fan panic, and oh, yeah. that includes myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Go on to Twitter I'm on the or twi- X. I'm on the Twitter. And uh, put into the search bar, Seahawks, Chris Jones. <laughs> like, everyone, everyone's like, go get Chris mm. Jones. Would you trade for Chris Jones? That's from Mike Salk, who we've had on the show before. Well, uh, I saw a few people going, Tyler Lockett for Chris Jones. Solves some of the, solves a problem for the Chiefs, solves a problem for the Seahawks. So, um, here's the thing. Chris Jones, for those that are unaware... Star pass rusher for the Kansas City Chiefs when he's playing football. Yeah. He's not currently. He's embroiled in a contract holdout. And on Thursday Night Football, when the Chiefs opened without Chris Jones, Chris Jones was on camera in attendance mm-hmm. at the Chiefs game holding a Seahawks hat. What? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, he was holding the Seahawks hat. A lot of people made mention of it. They're like, well, look. Yeah, obviously. They're like, look, Chris Jones is a Seahawks hat. Yeah, it was one of the old school pinwheel ones. So anyway. Oh, maybe could... you just thought it was cool? Yeah, like it's a cool hat, right? As a hat connoisseur, I was like, ah, oh, sick hat. Didn't even put together the Seahawks thing. But that's going to be out there. Um, I think it was it Chandler Jones has got the same problem in Las Vegas. He's embroiled. Got to get Nathan Rourke, man. And Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, so you're going to help can, the pass you, rush? Well, yes. you can fix the pass rush and the lackluster offense with two trades. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Week one trades. I got to love it. No, it's, um, I kind of agree with Mike. I kind of agree with Mike. I'm not ready to hit full fledged. This is awful panic. What I saw in week one, though, was a team that went completely off the rails, right? I would have been more. Cons- yeah, they they did a hundred percent. So c- continue on, but my 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 main retort is going to be like they looked fine, but not great in the first half. Like it, uh, the confirmation 
of my off-season analysis, which was you didn't really fix the pass rush remains. Mm-hmm. That Nothing changed. As a matter of fact, I think it's even more glaring now. Um, I would say that they couldn't have been any worse offensively in the second half. Would have been physically impossible to be worse. They had 12 yards. They didn't do anything offensively. They didn't complete third downs. They didn't run the ball well. They didn't throw the ball well. I was like, why? Like, let's take what? some. Do, do they do anything well? Let's take some deep shots here. You have three. The kicking really wasn't good. good. They have three. Yeah, the kicking stunk. They had three really good receivers. Yeah. And I wanted to see him air it out. Gino can throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Like Mike was saying, the, the right word was it felt like stuffed. The whole passing game, it felt like there was too many guys in too much space. That They didn't stretch the field far enough. So I, I would say everything was as bad as it could possibly go. And it can only get, especially offensively in the second half, can only get better. But um, the biggest concern for me with that was that, um, and I mentioned this off the top, I felt like the gap between the 49ers and the Seahawks might close a little bit this year. No. I feel like it might be wider, and that's a bad thing. Uh, Laddie, what's going on? The thing you was talking about Chris Jones with the Seahawks hat. You got duped by a Photoshop, my friend. Oh, I yeah. did? Wah, wah. You're officially an old guy. Who are you, me? I saw, it on the, <laughs> I saw it on the night that it happened. I thought it was real. People can do things quickly these days. Oh, my God. <laughs> This disinformation campaign against you. It was not a Seahawks hat. Was he actually holding anything? He was holding a hat, but it was just like a regular logo of something else. Oh, that's pretty funny, actually. Some people texting in, uh, Chris Jones for Metcalf. Maybe DK Metcalf really needs to grow up. He's such a talented player. He has so much ability, and he he just makes terrible decisions. Just terrible. And Pete was clearly frustrated. He said, like, when you lose your mind like that, when you lose your head like that, it makes us look terrible. Yeah, and Quandary Diggs did kind of a similar thing, you know? like, And that that's another part where I'm like, the frustration's boiled over. But Pete, I mean, you were, you were talking about his post-media or post-game media availability. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not, he wasn't super emotional, but he was, I'd say the word was flummoxed. And he, he was, was aggressive. He was aggressively flummoxed and confused because they yeah. they just fell apart. Mm-hmm. The whole thing went sideways, and everybody was frustrated. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, speaking of moving forward on this show, uh, Dan Shulman's going to join us next. The play-by-play voice of Canada's men's national basketball team. I think that's how it should be now. And he's like, also he does Blue Jays games. Mm-hmm. That's what Canada basketball did in beating the Americans over the weekend for third. They won third. Won a medal? No, it's great. I don't want. I don't want to downplay it. So Dan was on the call. You know what a great journey for him. Got to call this tournament in its entirety. We'll ask him about what it means, what it means moving forward, what this team is going to look like in Paris uh, for the Olympics next summer, and talk about you know Dylan Brooks and Shea Gilgis Alexander putting on a show in front of the world. So Dan Shulman's going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This one hit in the air to deep right. Center, you've been electric all year. Hey, we need it. We've been working for October all year. We're going, okay? You guys ready? Let's go. 
7.31 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Dan Shulman is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. I'm not even... So in the earlier segment, we were talking about Chris Jones, who was on Thursday Night Football watching Thursday Night Football because he wasn't playing for his football team, mm-hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. And I said he was sitting there with a, a Seahawks hat. Yeah. And then it's been revealed that the hat... So I still don't have clarification. He was holding a hat. It was just some sort of It was of a hat. racing but, company hat. But he was holding a hat. Yes. Okay. A truck I was like, because if someone actually managed to get his hands and then photoshopped in it a It is hole, a very good Photoshop. I, I still think it's real. Mm-hmm. AI did, I think. <laughs> Alfred doesn't know what Photoshop is. Is this how AI works? <laughs> okay. Good for AI. That's pretty, that's pretty rad. Anyway, th- I, I appreciate what's nice is um, everyone is just informing and alerting me without calling me mean names and being because yeah, they feel sorry for you. Yeah. You're kind of like the the older member of the media now. They're like, actually, on the internet, you can do things. Yeah, like I think they're like virtually patting me on the head, being it's okay, it's okay. You'll get the internet eventually. Let's go to the phone lines now, shall we? Uh, joining us, Dan Shulman, the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, and our Canadian men's national team just got a bronze medal at the FIBA World Cup. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. So I know that we talked right at the start of the tournament, and you expressed how excited you were to be you know, calling this event. And obviously, you've been following this program for a long time. So the big picture question right off the hop, what was it like for you to be able to call this, and we can call it this, very historic and very important moment in Canadian basketball? Uh, it was fantastic. Um, you, if you, uh, well, where you guys are, I don't know if you stayed up late or woke up early or neither, but um, it was as much fun as I've had ever doing anything, to be honest with you, um, on the air. I mean, it was just fantastic. You know, they, uh, they come out against France and, all oh, they don't look good, and then they blow them out in the second half. And it's like, wow, that's great. They blow out Lebanon. They come back against Latvia. And then, of course, kind of the Canada basketball moment, the uh-oh, they lose to Brazil. And then the Spain game is a must-win. And over the morning, um, you know, Puerto Rico loses. And then uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. The Dominican loses. And Brazil loses. And all of a sudden, the Spain game is for everything. It's for a spot in the Olympics. And that was as tense a game, I think, as I've ever broadcast in any sport or any network. So I thought the whole thing was great. I thought it was a phenomenal couple of weeks for the program to build the culture, to do things that hadn't been done before, to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll remember it for a long, long time. Every great run in sports has a few moments where you look back and like, man, if that would have gone slightly different, this run is not only different, but over at that time. What did Canada do that maybe it hasn't done in the past in that Spain game when things were not looking good after three quarters to allow themselves to finish with a bronze medal? Right. So they're down 10 at the half, too, right, as you know, and then they come back and tie it. And then they're down 12 at the end of the third. And not only are they down 12, but like they turn it over and Spain goes and dunks a couple of times. And it's like, man, they, it's just not meant to be. I think one of the great things they did was they had Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which was a phenomenal choice on, on their part, because 
Um, he was probably the best player in the tournament, even though he didn't win the MVP. And, you know, he took over at times. And, and listen, they have better talent, right? I mean, you, you start with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Dylan Brooks, in addition to guys like Barrett and Powell and Olinick and Dort and uh, Alexander Walker, who have played for Canada before. But I, I think what they did aside from having more talent, was they believed in themselves and they believed in each other. They didn't roll over and go away. Um, They just kept fighting possession by possession. And I think we saw that in the U.S. game, too, in the bronze medal game, because the U.S. made a big comeback. And then, of course, what they did at the end of regulation was ridiculous, right? Astounding. You know, you never see that. And then in overtime, Canada responded again. And and I think that's it. I, I think there is a connection between all of these guys right now. They weren't just 12 guys thrown together to form a team for a couple of weeks. It's a program with a culture and a togetherness. And I, I think that's a huge, huge reason why they were able to win some of these close games. So I guess now we look ahead to the Olympics next summer. Um, we all expect Jamal Murray to be part of the team. Will Andrew Wiggins be part of the team? I, I don't have the answer to that, obviously. So as you guys know, um, you had to commit for three years. 14 guys did. Andrew Wiggins was not one of them. So I fully expect the seven NBA guys who are on the team this time, you know, unless there's a reason they can't to be on the team next year. Um, I really hope Jamal Murray's there. I think he wants to be there. And now that they've qualified and don't have to do the last chance tournament, you know, it's a probably four to five week commitment instead of seven to eight week commitment. So, um, you know, part of it may be determined on how deep into the playoffs Denver goes. Right. So, um, but I would expect Murray to be there. Wiggins, I don't know. That's a, that's a question for Canada basketball. Um, you know, are you going to turn – so they asked players for a commitment, and the players gave it. Um, do you say thanks for your commitment, but we got a better guy, so no thanks. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't have the answer. I, I don't know that if they're going to do that or not. There are other guys, too, who were at training camp this year and for one reason or, or another weren't on the team – like could an O'Shea Brissett be on the team? Yeah. Then there's another group of guys who were still in college when everybody was asked to sign these commitments, like Andrew Nemhard and Shaden Sharp and Benedict Matherin, who are now NBA players. Will they be um, included or have the ability to be included? Because they didn't do anything wrong. They did not sign. They weren't asked to sign because they were too young. So I think you've got different situations with players in different categories Uh, And I'm sure within the Canada basketball offices, those conversations are going to be had. And publicly, we're going to talk about it for nine, ten months now, I know. But, you know, I know the Wiggins one is the big one. I I don't know what they're going to do. I also know this. They need some size. They need more size, I think, than they've had. And there are a couple of guys like Trey Lyles and Brandon Clark uh, who did not sign. They're in the Wiggins category. So, you know, I'm not sure what they'll do there either. Yeah. Isn't it great, though, that we will be talking about this and we'll be debating it? We'll be debating it like, Canada's hockey team basically when you know last time they had best on best was 2014 but you know when those teams will come out everyone will be debating them um I wonder I know you don't know the answer to this too but how maybe you know this how have the Americans handled it in the past in terms of putting teams together for the Olympics versus the World Cup they they've never had this uh I don't think they've had as staunch you know a a uh, hard and fast three-year commitment i know in the mike krzyzewski era they tried to get it um they never needed three years i think they asked for two years maybe in order but the americans are in a bit of a they still are pretty sure they can qualify whereas canada you know you know to do what they did here we needed those guys right if you take you take shea off the team they don't qualify 
I think if you take Lou Dort off the team, they don't qualify. Like they needed all seven of those NBA guys to do what they did. They they barely beat Spain. They barely beat the U.S. So um, I know the U.S. has tried to get this kind of a commitment. I, I don't know what they said to the twelve guys who are on the um, the World Cup team now. Some of them I think will be on the Olympic team. Um, and I'm sure they said to them, hey, guys, we're going to try to get, you know, Lillard and Curry and Tatum and guys like that and Durant. But whatever spots are left over, you guys will get first consideration. Um, I, I bet you they said that to those guys. You know, for Canada, um, it, it's the, you know, kind of the rules they la- laid out were a little bit different. And, and it is tricky. Like a guy like Melvin Edgem, who's played all over the world for over a decade for Canada and is a real leader on that team, too. He deserves a spot on that team, and, and I, I hope he is on that team. Um, you know, then you've got Trey Bell Haynes, who was the backup point guard, right, who coming into camp, you thought Murray was going to be there. You thought Corey Joseph was going to be there. You thought Kevin Pangos was going to be there. Like, to me, Trey Bell Haynes was like fifth on the depth chart, and he winds up as the backup mm-hmm. point guard. And as we saw, he played sparingly, right? He didn't play a ton. He played a lot of the Lebanon game. Other than that, not much. Um, you know, unfortunately for him, I think they need to upgrade that spot. And that's a natural for Jamal Murray. If Jamal says right. yes, that, that's an easy one. But then again, could they go to an Andrew Nemhard because he was too young to be considered a couple of years ago and put him on the team at the expense of Trey Belhane? So I, um, I'm not sure. This team they sent to the World Cup, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing to say because they could have won the gold medal here. Like if they don't get in foul trouble against Serbia. Yep. They're, they might have been in the final, and maybe they beat Germany. But it feels to me like they need more to compete for, to really be a serious gold or at least silver medal contender um, at the Olympics. And whether that means Wiggins or Nemhard or Clark and Lyles, guys I talked about before. So I don't think there will be a ton of changes, but I would expect two or three changes on the team. Um, I know you're up against it for time. There's a million things I want to ask you about this tournament, but um, one of them, and I wanted to ask Alvin when we had him on last week, but I didn't get a chance. What's the tougher tournament? Is it the FIBA World Cup or is it the Olympics? Oh, it's the World Cup. There's yeah. no question. Yeah, um, it's more games and more teams. So, um, it, you know, like at, at the Olympics, there will be so Germany and Serbia have qualified. Uh, France is there. Will be the host nation. But if you're Spain or Latvia or Lithuania. Uh, and I'm leaving out a bunch of good European teams. Like, they've all got to do this last-chance tournament thing yeah. that Canada tried to do in Victoria. They're not all going to get there. So um, I think the World Cup is tougher because you have a higher percentage of the truly great countries in the world represented, and you have to win more games. Canada played eight games in this tournament. The Olympics is three groups of four, so you play three games, and then it's quarter semifinals. So you play a max of six games, I believe. It's eight at the World Cup. So I, I think um, I, I think the World Cup is is harder. Um, the Olympics is more like an NCAA tournament kind of thing. Uh, I, I guess they're, they're all like that. But, it, um, it, you know, because it's shorter, uh, I mean, any game can – you can stumble in any game and, and be out. And there will be some great countries there. Like we already know Canada, the U.S., Germany, Serbia, and France are going to be there. The one thing that can make the Olympics harder – is I bet you Jokic plays for Serbia, right? And he wasn't there. Yeah. And Joel Embiid can play for the U.S. or for France, apparently. I bet you he'll be there, and Wemby will be there. And, uh, you know, so that that does take it up a notch. So um, the hardest thing to do, I think, is to qualify for the Olympics. Once Canada's there, they, they've got a really good chance. But, uh, you know, they, they should be able to handle Japan and South Sudan, who have qualified um, but, you know, Australia is going to be there, too, right? And Australia is a good country, yeah. too. So 
Um, you're going to have a very good country finishing ninth at the Olympics, and, and there's not a lot to separate, I think, some of the top countries. But I, I believe just because of the number of countries and the number of games that the World Cup is uh, a little more arduous. Well, Dan, uh, I want to say like, congrats that you got to do this because I know you've been following this program for forever, and to have this moment is super cool. And we didn't even have to get up for a lot of these games. We were already on right. the air, so it was cool doing our jobs and getting to watch a live sporting event. I paid zero attention to the show. I just watched the that's television funny. the entire yeah, time. That's funny. Yeah. So yeah. it was great. So thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy getting back into the Blue Jays stuff. Hopefully they take off now, too. Yeah, big, big series starting tonight, right? So four games against the Rangers. So lots more fun coming. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Dan. All right, guys. Thanks. See you. Dan Shulman, the play-by-play voice of Canada basketball and the Toronto Blue Jays here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dan's such a pro's pro. Yeah, I mean, he's he's incredible. And the energy that he has to be able to uh, call Blue Jays games and the basketball games and then actually accept an invitation to come talk to us. Can you imagine? I'd be like, if I was saying this, three I'd be biggest like, career highlights. I'd be like, I think. no. Yeah. Can I just play? I'm busy. I, I realize now that you talk mostly basketball in that clip. I rolled in with a Jays clip for yeah. some. Can I play a clip from the bronze medal game? R.J. Barrett hit a clutch three, and just to display Dan Schulman's yes, uh, basketball do. play-by-play. I think he does it pretty well. Like I, I'm used to hearing him as a baseball guy, but here's the the clutch shot from Canada in overtime when they beat the United States for bronze. The kick, Barrett for three. Yeah, he's incredible. So good. Yeah, he's 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 one of the best play-by-play guys. And it's it, it's in the more world. impressive too because I often don't love basketball radio play-by-play. I don't know what it is. It just doesn't always mm-hmm. translate for me. It doesn't maybe because it's so fast. It just doesn't sound as exciting. But Dan's able to make it sound really really exciting regardless of the play, and that that's a gift. Well, he um, also is like super. Uh, he's got an emotional attachment to Canada basketball, right? So there's a. I mean, it's not like he's out there doing his job, which he is. But he's been he's followed this program since the, 1936 when they won their last medal. It was him and James Naismith <laughs> handing out the medals <laughs> together. <laughs> so that was nice. That is a long run without a medal I, in any sport. I mean, 1936 went, to 2023. When you went back into the research, I had no idea that it was that long. And then you, you're digging through the archives and finding out exactly what the sport so was if, was made of back then. It's pretty funny. If you're just joining us. Um, here's a fun fact. Uh, and when I was doing the research on this, like I kept on finding facts that made it even more hilarious in some ways. So the last time Canada took home a medal at a major basketball tournament on the men's side was silver at the 1936 Berlin Olympics, which Mm -hmm. is a little infamous, (laughs) Looking back in history. Oh, why? What happened at those? Oh, just uh, never mind. Yeah. You know, you can right. find it up. Right. Uh, the medals were awarded by James Naismith, who invented basketball. So awesome. Um, it gets better. They lost in the- by a score of 19 to 8. Barn burner. Now, some people will be like, oh, it's probably low scoring because uh, there was no shot clock back then. A lot of basketball games, most basketball games were. Low scoring. You just hold the ball. Yeah, and they were also like, we don't know how to shoot this thing. <laughs> do we do it underhand? I, I, don't, I don't know. What's the best way to do it? Um, but that wasn't the only reason it was a low-scoring game. It was also a low-scoring game because it was played in the rain. 
It was yeah. outdoors. It was outdoors. They didn't have the indoors back then. It hadn't been invented yet. They didn't have houses, nothing. No stadiums. Everything was done outdoors. Right. The lighting was great. They invent- <laughs> James Naismith invented basketball. What he couldn't invent was indoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a shot. Oh, the wind got that one. We're playing this in the mud, boys. <laughs> Apparently it was clay. The court was clay. Oh. And it was and it was wet. Which I imagine wet clay doesn't translate to good basketball. Um, so speaking of Germany, well, this is a bad transition yeah. compared to 1936 <laughs> Berlin Olympics. Oh God, he's, can we, best, he's not the best in the business for nothing, folks. Can Jeez, we talk well, about segueing away, away, away? Can we talk about the fact that do you think there's a there's a Halford and Bruff show in Germany that are making? Jokes like Germany is more of a basketball country now because yeah. Dieter and Jurgen they're doing the show together right now. <laughs> so, so over the weekend, Germany won the World Cup of basketball. They're the best basketball team in the world, apparently. Um, and their soccer team, which is quite famous for being you know really good at soccer, uh, lost to Japan four to one in a friendly. And then they fired their manager. Yeah. And if you look at this soccer team, and it's actually a big deal because Germany is hosting the Euros next year. Mm-hmm. They haven't been good, really, for time. six or seven years. Like, they won the 2014 World Cup. I think they got into the semifinals in 2016. So you would know the players better on that team. But if you're looking at what they've done recently at Euros, of course, they lost to England in the round of 16, I think, the last Euros. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they haven't made they it were out of the bad in Nations League. They were bad at the World Cup. They, they haven't made it out of the group stage in the World Cup in the last two. Yeah. And so they lost to Japan 2 1 at the World Cup. And then they booked this friendly against Japan. They went out and lost again. They're like, that's it. You can't lose to Japan twice in like five or six months. So they fired Hansi Flick, the manager. And it came came at a time where it's like, what could possibly usurp the greatest basketball win in the country's history? Well, fire the national team soccer manager. Right. Like that's, that's, that'll do it. Germans aren't all smiles and sunshine. That was after the second Jürgen, Yeah, Klopp. (laughs) Are we a basketball country now? Well, that's That's pretty funny. You use Jürgen and Klopp there. Yeah, I know. Um, I I like the names together. As soon as he said it yesterday, I'm like, I guarantee you. There's like the Halbro German equivalent <laughs> no. right now. And they talking exactly like uh, yeah. basketball. Is Dance that music in the background. The whole time? Yeah. Country. Yeah. That, I, like, that, that to me is a hilarious development because we're having this sort of fake national existential crisis about what, our, what is Canada now? I mean, it's still a hockey country. Don't get me wrong. We're but we don't serious. know. We haven't played best on best since 2004. Maybe we're bad at Didn't it. Didn't Germany medal? Germany medaled at hockey at the Olympics. No, maybe that they're count. usurping the hockey. Know. That doesn't count. We all know those Olympics don't count. Why not? Because there was no NHL players there. Why not? Why not? Wojciech Volsky being being there kind of tainted <laughs> it for you. It wasn't, and that was also the Olympics where Russia had to show up as yeah. uh, Olympic athletes of Russia. Right? Yeah, they were like the team isn't called Russia. It's called some guys who were born in Russia wearing playing suspiciously hockey. red jerseys. Yeah, like they bought, <laughs> all have Russian names. No, let's not focus. On all that. of their uniforms looked like they bought them at Winners the day before. Yeah. Like it was just a generic like hockey like Ken Hitchcock sweater. Well, then they just, just heat press somebody that worked at Winners for. Five years, right? like, and they sure. couldn't put the Olympic rings on it because of trademark. So they put like some. We- it was just awful. So no, that doesn't count for the Germans. The Germans are a basketball country now. It's remarkable that they won that tournament. By the way, I just want to throw that mm-hmm. out there. So who did they have? 
Uh, Dennis Schroeder, now okay. now a new member of the Toronto Raptors. They had was the- Nowitzki on that team? Or- <laughs> no, no. Dirk is done. Wait, you they, know- their coach was the one that was losing it on the players, right? Their coach was the one that yeah. he's from Penticton. Oh. Yeah. Hey, we should try and, you know, get him on the show. You know what? That's not a bad idea. Chase, <laughs> we'll just ask him, like, what do you think about the V's this year? I like, I like, I throw this out there and I'm like, Chase, the German national team coaches. Andy is like, how do I call Germany? Like, <laughs> Hello, Germany. Hello, is this Germany? <laughs> uh, I'd like to speak to the basketball coach, please. Yeah. Oh, sure. One, you need. Dance music. Hold, like the, the music's like dance music. Hold yeah, music. the whole music would be. Okay. Uh, focus, 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 focus. So coming up on the show, we're going to talk to Dave Softy Mahler, uh, one of our favorite guests. Um, if you haven't heard him before, here's a warning. He's very loud. You're yeah. going to listen to him and be like, who is this American? But he's a great guy. He's a passionate sports fan of the Seattle teams. What do you think his reaction is going to be? Do you think he's going to be like Furious. apoplectic? Furious. Or do you think he's going to be like, guys, just relax, it's week one? I'm going to bet that he's not going to say, just relax, it's week one. I, it I hope a- I'm wrong here because if Dave can keep it together, maybe I can keep it together. Because it was a bad weekend for Seattle sports, kind of, right? Yeah, the Mariners have lost three in a row. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, they're not looking such a sure bet to make it into the playoffs. Uh, the Huskies beat Tulsa. Yeah, how was Penix? Uh, Penix right. was okay, but I think he threw a pick. Like, I don't think it was a great performance from the Huskies, but I think the Seahawks are have taken over temporarily as the lead story mm-hmm. in Seattle. The performance was that bad. You know, the Mariners, people are excited, I know, for the Mariners' stretch drive, and it's going to be a lot of fun, but that Seahawks game yesterday was bad. Someone did, might have been, uh, God, who was it that maybe it was Basketball Phil again on Twitter? He said, This is bad. This is the Canucks start of the regular season bad. Oh, yeah. That's it, a good it, analogy. It, 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 it was that bad. I was yeah. kind of like, uh, I thought the defense was supposed to be better. Like, it was so bad. It was like the Canucks are have played like five regular season games and the PK is still awful. Like I thought this was yeah. supposed to be slightly improved. It felt like the Seahawks defense was on the field for all 24 minutes of the second half on Sunday. It just felt like they were out there all the time. Because it wasn't like the Rams were putting up big plays. Stafford was just picking them apart clinically. Like it was like yeah. very efficient throws. And then they didn't run the ball Super great, but they ran it well enough to win it okay in the first half. Yeah. And then uh, the Rams converted every third down. So it's like just when you thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just when you thought that um, they were finally going to get, the defense was finally going to get off the field, Stafford completes another third down or they run it for another third down. So yeah, it was just a disaster of a game. Dave Softy Mahler is going to join us next to talk about that. And then at 830, uh, we'll do some what we learned. Let's get him in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet. 650. No, they're so big Stop and strong. Stop it, Mr. Oh, Burns. Pretending you're scared of us, please. Stop it. 